0: strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash BE. That's IXL.com slash BE.
1: Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership personal development and education change making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul embody your calling and bring your dreams to life i'm your host david k richards and i share wisdom for my 25 plus years as an education innovator school founder and CEO, mindset teacher, and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education changemaker at a time. Hey, everyone, I want to jump on before you get into the podcast episode today and share that I'm launching the Wise Warrior Mastermind, which I'm really excited about because you know when something comes through me, it comes through with full energy and love. And I really wanted to convene a group, a small group of about five people where we can really go deep and create a safe container, a safe environment, place where you can just be free, let yourself be you. You don't have to worry about bringing any baggage into the group. And we can really focus on these mindset teachings that I have embodied and learned and mastered over the last several years. And I can share them with you and we can work on them together and we can support each other and create some lasting impact and change in your life. So we can focus on how to lead with love, how to live and flow, how to master your thoughts and what belief systems you have and so many other things that we're going to work on together. So if you're interested, please reach out to me at david at davidkrichards.com or you can go to the website davidkrichards.com slash program slash mindset. We're going to get better together. We're going to learn. We're going to grow and it's going to be a, a small number of us. So if you're interested, please reach out as soon as possible because we don't have that many spaces. All right. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks. All right, Tanya and I just had a great conversation. And and as always, I always like to ask my guests, what were some key takeaways from our conversation today, Tanya?
2: I think one of the takeaways were all of the opportunities and resources that are available for people to become change makers in education and in their communities um, and looking for and taking advantage of those. Along those lines, once you decide what your passion or your purpose or the way that you want to make change in the world, to do one thing every day that moves you towards that goal.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing that I found really inspiring is that you can create change even with a small micro school or five kids in your living room or homeschooling, whatever it is that you choose to do, that this is, there's kind of this movement happening now where people are starting to ask, you know, do we have to just do school the way we've always done it, or are there other options? And I feel like just in the last 5 or 10 years, there's a lot, and especially after the pandemic, there's really... People are asking a lot of questions and trying to figure out what can we do. And so we talked about you know, getting clear with your own change-making, like how you want to create change. And Tanya did a great job of sharing different options. She has a lot of resources for you through her different projects. She doesn't just run a school. She also has other really cool projects that she'll share more about. You'll hear more about when you listen. And in general, like she said, doing one thing every day, just do something and you'll see this incremental change that happens. All right. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thank you. Hello. Welcome everyone to Changemaker EDU. Super excited to be here today with Tanya. How are you, Tanya?
2: I'm great. Thanks so much for asking. Thanks for having me, David. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm excited for this conversation. I wanted to start, as I always do, by just reading your short bio and then we'll launch into the conversation from there. Tanya Sheckley is founder and president of UP Academy, a TK through 8 micro school, which values innovation, empathy, and strength. I feel like this is the same words I would use to describe my school. That's why I wanted to have you on. Tanya's vision and mission show it's possible to celebrate differences, challenge what's broken in the American education system. I want to talk about that. And that all children can receive a rigorous, well-rounded education. She's an entrepreneur, author of Rebel Educator, create classrooms where imagination and impact meet and also host of the Rebel Educator podcast. She speaks frequently on the future of education and entrepreneurship. She's a rebel educator who works with new and existing schools to question the status quo and develop innovative student experiences through inclusion and project-based learning. All right. Well, my audience will know from your bio that there's exactly why you're on, (laughs) based on that. (laughs) So tell us about the school that you started, Up Academy, and why you decided to start it.
2: Sure. So I started up Academy in 2018. I like to say we were a micro school before they were cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, but it, it was really inspired by my oldest daughter. My oldest daughter, Eliza had cerebral palsy and finding the right educational fit for her, where she was going to get the academic, she needed to be successful and the therapeutic she was going to need to be independent just wasn't something that schools did well. Yeah. Um, She's very bright. She was reading in kindergarten. She was doing three-digit math in kindergarten. Oh, I was going to neurogaming and neurodevelopment conferences and watching surgeons do surgery by robot and just seeing these things that would be possible, even without, you know, the consistent use of your hands or fine motor, um, which would have been a struggle for her, but things that would be possible if she had the education and the knowledge. Um, and I didn't see I didn't see the schools providing that well for her. And right. so it, we got to a point where I just thought there, there must be a better way, you know, looking at all of the different things we looked at. I spent the first five years of her life learning about child development, learning about neuroplasticity, learning about how kids learn um, and, and trying to find the best therapists and teachers for her around the world. Uh, And then when we got to the school and we asked for a few of these things to be brought into the school and for them to think a little bit differently and try some things with us, um, they pretty much said no and said, you know, we're we're required to make accommodation for her to be for her to access the class. Mm -hmm. We're not required to guarantee that she learns or gains any sort of education at any particular level once she's there, Um, which is the basis of idea at least in California or the interpretation of, of the law where I live locally. Yeah. Um, And and it made me really angry. Like if that were our expectations for all students in public school, I don't know who would send their kid there. Right. right. (laughs) They can come and they might learn something, but we're not really required to teach them anything or make sure that they learn. Like that just was an acceptable expectation. Um, And so I started talking to other parents and, you know, hearing similar frustrations with the classes that their students were in and the challenges that they were having. And yeah. um, and my daughter did start public school and she had amazing teachers the few years she was there. Um, and we got really lucky with the inclusion and with the teachers and with the other students in the class and the experience that she had. And it was really that experience from that school and seeing how inclusion could work combined with thinking through how an integrated system could work um, that really led to the founding of UP Academy.
1: Okay, so tell us about it now. So it's TK through eight. I'm really curious about the number when we say micro school, because I've heard some people say it means 15 and other people say 150. So I'm just curious what your, how many kids are in your micro school? And uh, yeah, just and just tell us in general a little bit about it.
2: Yeah. I feel like microschool is one of those words that became really popular to describe pods and a group mm-hmm. of kids learning in a living room is not a microschool. That's right. a group of kids learning in a living room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the group of homeschoolers?
2: <laughs> yes, right. it's a group of homeschoolers, uh, which is great. And if they're learning well that way, I, I, I'm all for all sorts of different types of education. Um, yeah. Our our definition of microschool is a school with 90 or fewer students. Um. Okay. And I can see where some people get the 150 number, and I think that's still valid, definitely. Yeah. Um. But we are we do all small mixed age classes. Um. We have about 10 students per class. Our elementary has capacity for about 30. We've been a K to five um, and got fully accredited as a K to five in 2020. We're just launching okay. our middle school this year. Okay. Um. So we will grow into a TK to eight by 2025. But our elementary has capacity for about 30 or middle school will have capacity for around 40 to 45. So once we're fully enrolled in 2025, we'll be around 70 to 75 students.
1: Yeah. And what makes it unique or different from other schools?
2: Um, I mean, well, number one, our complete focus on inclusion. Like we're really working to do what we can to be as inclusive as we can to the widest variety of learning profiles that we possibly can. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we're a small school we don't have a ton of resources, so unfortunately that doesn't mean that we can serve everyone. Um, but we have found that by having small class sizes by learning through a project-based approach where students you know are following their interests, they're engaged, they're excited, they're able to, you know their educators are able to scaffold the expectations for each project based on each student. so everybody's being pushed to grow in their areas of growth. Um, And being pushed to overcome some of their challenges and work on those areas of challenge. Um, And then providing universal accommodations in the classrooms. Like we do all flexible seating, all of our classrooms have a set of noise canceling headphones. Um, You know, it's, it's pretty simple, small things. We all have peace corners, and in the peace corner, there's a toolbox of somatosensory tools that students can use to calm. Um, and these are things that you would see maybe in a special day class or in a special education classroom, right. but it really benefits all students. Like we Absolutely. can all learn to self-regulate. We can all build our self-awareness skills We can all use these tools. Like, even as adults, we don't all sit in the same chair in the same office space to do the same work every day. Like, I've got a couch in my office. I have two chairs in my office. I have a table with chairs in my office. And sometimes I don't even sit in here. I go sit in our mindfulness room or our library. Like, we have all of those options for seating. And there's no reason why students shouldn't have all of those options to be in their best spot in that moment, in that day as well. Um, So, we found by creating you know, pretty simple shifts in the environment that we can really support a wide variety of learning profiles.
1: Yeah. Well, and I imagine because you're smaller, you can meet, I mean, the, obviously the trade-off is like you said, you can't all you don't have always, always have the resources to serve everyone or whatever, but you're more nimble and adaptable. Is that correct?
2: I'd say that's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you said like eight students per, is it grade or like per grade, a group of students? How, how are they grouped?
2: Yeah, we have around 10 per group. So they're okay. in mixed age groups. Um, And so this year we have a TKK class, a 1-2 class, a 3-4, and our middle school is 5-6. Okay. Um, But then our schedules are also all aligned for the core classes for English language arts and for math because we still have students who are either have, excuse me, have more challenges or are excelling in those areas beyond what the two grade level of their classroom is. Um, And so by aligning the schedules across the classes, that allows them to go to their just right differentiated group. Yeah. So like that's we've awesome. got first graders that go do math with second and third graders right. and we've got right. third grader that goes and does literacy with fifth and sixth graders. And,
1: um, which makes perfect sense. And, you know, like the traditional systems more like, I always tell this story, but I, I'll just tell it quickly. My daughter's doing the same spelling test as everyone in the room, right? She's in fourth grade in a traditional elementary school. And it's just, it, to me, that's like this, the kind of small micro example of how, there's just kind of this more standardized version of schooling. And so they're all doing the same spelling test and she keeps coming home with hundred percent. And I'm like, you're not learning anything, <laughs> you know, like you're doing words that you've, you've known for two years, but anyway, I wanted to ask you. So a lot of my listeners are education change makers that are thinking about starting something or doing something. They want to create change in their community, in their, in their life, you know, wherever their locus of control is. And so for you, what advice would you have for others? that are trying to launch programs or create something? Because it sounds to me like you were solving a problem that was near and dear to your heart, obviously your daughter's education. So what advice do you have for others that have something that's near and dear to their heart and they're not even sure what to do about it?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of ways to go about solving problems and a lot of ways to expend your energy. I mean, founding a school or launching a program is one of those ways. And it's been very rewarding. And I have loved growing the community and seeing the all of the families and all of the students that were able to touch and support and make a difference in their lives. And that's been amazing. Um, So definitely like if that's on your radar, you should do that. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's all consuming. Like this is what I do now, yeah. 70 hours a week, <laughs> yeah, yeah, every week, all summer, like all through the year, you know, it's being a small school leader. You are the leader of all things, right? It's not, You know, it's it's not just teaching in the classroom, which I don't do, um, Mm -hmm. or you know, or leading the community, or doing the marketing, or doing outreach and admissions, or doing the finance. Like it's all the things. Um, Which, if that's what you're looking for, is really fun and exciting. I like doing different things every day. Like that's interesting for me.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, But there are other ways, you know, supporting programs, volunteering in programs, even volunteering in the school in the classroom to. Create a project experience for a class that might not otherwise have that experience or, you know, support a teacher in doing something new and different, being an ally in those PTA meetings or school district meetings or helping to bring about change that way in the direction that you wish to see it or starting with an after school program and trying to draw in interest and see you know, in testing things. Does this work here? Does this not work here? You know, are people interested? Are they not interested? What would it need to be or bring to have more interest? Um, and looking at those things in different aspects. Um, yeah, starting a podcast. Talking about things, amplifying yeah. the voices of other people doing things.
0: yeah um,
2: you know there's there's just so many ways to get involved and bring about change. But I think if you're looking to start something, if you're looking to be an entrepreneur, if you're looking to create a school, um, you know just doing what I always tell people is just doing one thing every day. If yes. you do one thing to move it forward every day, at the end of the year, you will have taken three hundred and sixty five steps forward. And that, when you're doing one thing every day, it doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't seem overwhelming. You have one priority, you have one goal. you're doing one thing to move the business or the idea forward. But at the end of the year, those three hundred and sixty five steps add up to a ton of things, and the creation and the innovation and, you know, the the consistency of actually starting and creating something.
1: Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I always tell people, you know, really follow your heart, like what do you really? passionate about, what do you believe in? And then that idea of like incrementally doing, you know, one thing a day, like you said, that's 365 days and you turn around and you're like, Oh, I have kind of a concept that I can, you know, launch a micro school or, Oh, I have this or that. I also loved how you kind of outlined, you know, cause I feel like people are like, Oh, Tanya started a school. Like, I don't, I can't do that. You know, like that seems crazy. And it's like, maybe it's not as crazy as you think. Number one. And then number two, no, it is. it's absolutely. Crazy. <laughs> yes, yeah. it I was going to say it's pretty crazy. <laughs> but you did talk about you know five kids in your living room, right? Like that's not as crazy. So there are there are options, but the point is that like be clear on what you're trying to do and reach out to people like Tanya if you're interested in starting a school and and like you said, there is a kind of element of the crazy person that likes to do this the you know starting school mm-hmm. micro school whatever because it is it's, there's a lot going on and it's different. It's engaging and it's crazy and people like that. Right. So really get clear on what you want, but I like how you outlined. There's so many things you can do and really figure out, you know, what is it that you want to do? And then take those small steps. Don't just sit around waiting, you know, like just do whatever feels right. And just take a step and just see what takes you. So that's great advice. Let me ask you about what do you see now as the biggest areas of opportunity for change makers in education?
2: everywhere. Like there's just so much opportunity right now. There's, we've come through a point in time where we've seen the shortfalls in the school system. Um, and we've seen the challenges that need to be overcome and they've all been magnified and exacerbated over the last three years. Um, that there's just so much opportunity out there. Um, the thing that, I think the thing that I see consistently happening that I find a little bit frustrating is all of the money that's getting funneled into ed tech programs that are supposed to solve a problem, Mm -hmm. um, but they're not focusing on retraining our educators or retooling the education system or redeveloping the way that we're teaching students. If we're teaching them the same thing, but using a different tool, They're still learning the same thing. But if we really want a different outcome, we have to use those tools in different ways in a different environment to create a different outcome. Um, And so that's one of my frustrations with the current moment. But as far as opportunity goes, um, yeah, I mean, we've all seen the challenges that our students have, that our children have, that our neighbor's children have, and how can we help them to work through those things. And how can we create a school or a program or an environment that supports the challenges that we see? There's, you know, there's so much mental health challenges right now. There's so much anxiety. There's learning loss if you believe in that. There's, right. you know, lower test scores. There's, you know, all of these things and a million different ways to tackle them. Uh, and it might be It might be you, one of the listeners who has an idea that takes that one step every day that really makes a difference in the lives of 10 or 50 or hundreds or thousands of children. Um, So there's opportunity
1: all around us. Right. You know, what you mentioned about the kind of, I remember when I started my charter school and I wanted to do multi-age classes and we tried it for a few years and then our principal was like, I just, we can't do this anymore. And one of the reasons it was so hard for them is because we had to work within the kind of regulations of the public school, you know, because we we're a charter school and there was like, everything was built for a single grade level. So every curriculum was first single, Like, so we felt like we couldn't even operate because there was like this box that everyone was operating in. And to your point around ed tech, everyone's in that box, yet they're not actually changing the way that school is done or the way that we're teaching or the, the system. And so it's like everyone's just doing it in this way. And so it's hard to, how did you get out of that box? And, you know, were you able to, like, how did you solve that problem with everything being set up for like these single grade levels or just kind of more of the factory model of school?
2: Yeah, that's why we're a private school. <laughs>
0: Yeah I wish no, I, I wish
2: that time. we could be a charter I wish that we could be public I wish that yeah. it could be free for everyone. I spend a lot of time talking to other thought leaders and leaders of organizations and philanthropy organizations around yeah like myself and so many other innovative school leaders out there are creating all of these new programs but how do we make it equitable? How do we make it available right. to everyone? And the reality is because there is this box of industrial education and yeah. There's so many policies and procedures and rules and regulations and overhead and layers of that to change. Really, the only way to do it is to go out and do your own thing and to be an independent school and to be a private school. Um, But then your entire financial setup is different because the government's not supporting you. You don't have an income. That money has to come from somewhere. And so it has to come from tuition. and, And now you have a completely different, in a lot of ways, inequitable system because of the way the system was designed. Um, so that that's like the systemic answer. Yeah. Like we became a private school and a big part of it, you know, a big part of why I left public schools and I, I started out trying to work with them and saying, hey, I want to create this new program, right. It'd be a hybrid of special and general education. Let's do it within the school district. I'd love to work with you. Like we can yeah. be innovative in this realm. And every school district I approached said, no, we're just, we're not going to do that. Yeah. I was like, fine. Well, then I'll, I'll go do it myself. Yes.
1: Cool. Um, It's too far out of their paradigm. Like, it's just, it's like you're operating in a different country, you know, they're in one country and you're like, they can't even speak your language. And I've had people ask me, Oh, I want to open, like, this was like years ago. They'd like, I want to open a charter school. And I'm thinking about, you know, the superintendent's being really friendly in your area. And it was like, Oh, the superintendent, this is like 10 years ago, superintendent's being really friendly and they want to partner with me and do like a, schooled in the school. And then I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Let's see where it goes. And it always ends up not going where they want, because there's so many things you have to do that aren't in line with your vision, you know, to quote unquote, get the money from them. And then it becomes, yeah. they're, they're controlling it. And anyway, you get it. So that said, you know, I do think you're obviously a very innovative out of the box thinker, but there are probably people listening that are like, well, I could, I could, you know, my wife started after school programs and in different parts and different school districts. And I always tell her like, you're, you're amazing for dealing with all that. Cause I couldn't deal with all that bureaucracy, but she finds ways around it. So there, there is that, there is that way to go too. but I'm more of like an outside of the system change maker. And it sounds like for you, it was the choice was, you know, going into the, well, you tried, which is nice admirable. And, but you ended up going with the micro school because you have more control over how you want to actually educate the kids in your building. Correct.
2: Yeah, we wanted the leeway. We wanted to follow the research. We wanted to be able to create new and different ideas and methodologies. Like that was the whole point was to create a new methodology of education that was inclusive and supported all of our students to reach up actually stands for ultimate potential. So to reach their ultimate potential. um, And we just, it just wasn't possible. And to your point, you know, we looked at mixed age classes or single age classes. And there's just so much benefit to be had when you're working with peers who are of a slightly different age level than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And school is the only place in the world where we divide kids by age. And yeah, your point your daughter's in fourth grade doing the same spelling test that she's been doing for two years and she's super bored, but she's there because that's her age, not because that's Mm -hmm. her ability level or the way that she should be challenged. And so if we can look at it a little bit differently, You know, we really started with how, like, what's best for the kids? What's best for the students? How can we create a student-centered experience and looking at it from that point of view? Because I was the kid, probably like your daughter, who was always bored in school. Mm -hmm. I was always waiting for everybody else to catch up or waiting for someone else's behavior challenge or waiting. Like, I spent a lot of time sitting around waiting and I wanted to create an environment where... You don't have to sit around waiting and bored all day. Like there are things to do that are enriching, that are fun, that are exciting, that you can interact with your friends, that you can learn things. Yeah. Um, and then we've we've actually written a full mixed age curriculum, because to your other point, a lot of mixed age schools struggle with that because they don't know how to do it. And the educators don't know how to do it. And they get everything very stuck. is built for yeah. everything is built for a single grade system. Unless uh, so it's just
1: that's yeah, what we okay. learned, like, and then you have to do, like, several years of school and go in there, like, that box, which is, you know, that's fine. But, yeah, that, that's really cool that you did that. So, you built a multi-age curriculum so people can... I know you have a lot of other projects. So, is this... Which one is this? Is
2: um, it like it's called project? the Rebel Project Literacy Curriculum. And okay. it's a full K-5. to It's built in modules um, for mixed-age classes. So, uh, a, a single level teacher who would have two grades would have six modules to do within two years okay. and they can mix and match and like it doesn't need to be a linear format however it fits in with the rest of their curriculum or the things that they want to teach or the way that they're doing it over yeah. that two years then those students get everything they need within you know that two-year band yep. um, but it gives the educator a ton of freedom around developing projects following student interests, looking at current events and easily draws it into the literacy curriculum so the students are getting all of the literacy that they need throughout that time frame
1: as well. Yeah, I wish you had done that like seven years ago when we started our school.
2: Better late than never. <laughs> no, I'm really glad you did it though because
1: I, I, so this is one of my other questions I was going to ask you about is, you know, as we're thinking about providing examples and providing models, because again, seven years ago, like I said, if I wasn't going to do Montessori, we were doing K like K-5, right? We just got to seventh grade. So we had kindergarten and first grade and we were like, the teachers were just so stressed out all the time because they were trying to create all their curriculum. And like the way they were thinking about it was this is a combo class. And i had to really like work with them and be like, you need to stop saying that because there's this whole connotation in the traditional system that they're the teachers are being forced to teach a combo class because of numbers. Right. I'm teaching two, I'm teaching two classes, two grades. Like it was like this victim mentality. And I'm like, but I couldn't, solve the problem by giving them a curriculum so that they wouldn't be as like nervous about it and of course it was the early years and we worked mm-hmm. through some of the some of the people that weren't right quite the right fit based on what we were doing but either way it's really helpful to start you know building those things for people so that we can start doing more of this but my question was going to be do you think that having schools like yours will start to push on the kind of more traditional system by having this example
0: that's
2: our hope yeah like there's there's a few different ways to start a revolution, right? You can try and go from the top and overthrow leadership and power and have you know more of a trickle down where you take over everything and rip it apart and start yeah. over, um, which would be fantastic, but I don't see that happening in the U.S. education system. Um, or you can create a million points of dissonance and a million points of difference yeah. and challenge. And all of those you know, once you start looking at them all together, this becomes a big wave and people start to see that things could be different. Um, and there are lots of other ways to do things and it doesn't need to be the way that it's always been because the way that it's always been isn't working for the majority of us. And as, as our country and as our world, and as our society is quickly changing, um, education is the thing that's not changing with it which means we're going to produce a bunch of kids who are super ready to work in like 1950 right except that it's going to be 2050 and they're 100 years behind yes um and so yeah you know i hope that my model and other models and everybody who's starting new models and people who are like, we're launching an affiliate network to help people start schools like ours. Oh, great. Um, and There's others out there. Acton has theirs and Prenda mm-hmm. and Kaipod and like all of these people who are doing these things. Yeah. I mean, my hope is that it does create enough of a wave of change that it starts to really put pressure on quote unquote, the way things have always been done. Yeah. And we really start to create change. For everyone and we see pockets of that there are definitely innovative public schools out there there are pockets around the country where they're really changing their methodology and rethinking their schedules and rethinking what they're doing and how they educate kids Um, and i think in some of the education choice states we're even seeing more of that happen faster because students are leaving the public schools in greater numbers which is going to put pressure on them because they're paid by students
1: money. You don't
2: have the students, you don't make the money. And if you don't have the money, suddenly all of those layers of bureaucracy and overhead, you can't afford to pay anymore. And so you have to do something different in order to entice people to come back.
1: Yeah. Well, and I feel like people that are in the system that are really innovative, amazing educators, they want to have something that they can look to and start to build something, you know, maybe do something within the system. And then, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, I'm not sure if you said this, but my belief is that it's going to be a grassroots type movement. And if you think about like parents, they're voters, and you start to see parents, you know, in in our charter school and kind of in your area in Redwood City, we saw that this was like 20 years ago. And we saw that the district, because there were so many kids leaving, because we had like, you know, 500 kids and it was a pretty small district, they started to have all kids take A through G classes. They started to have advisory. They started to do schools, you know, small schools within schools. So kind of the core model that was, that we were having a lot of success with, they started to change with, but not because they wanted to, but because they had to, right? Because the parents were, they were starting to lose a lot of money and they noticed that it became a problem for them. And so they started to try and do it. And, you know, there was a lot of issues because the culture was off and stuff like that. But But at least they were trying and it was, there was an example for them to try and they could see that, the parents were actually really interested in this and they felt like if we do this, then, you know, maybe, maybe that this charter school over there, because we at one point we talked about opening like four of them and that like really freaked them out. Cause they're like, that's going to decimate like our whole district. <laughs> we didn't do that because it got so political and ugly, but that was kind of the vision for a while. And, and it got really, this was a long time ago, but it just got really ugly, but we didn't do that. But the point is that they, they started to see us as a threat, which creates some, Movement and action when you're when you're worried about that. So I feel like if you have these multiple microschools across the country and parents are starting to see, there. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast is because I wanted to share schools like yours and the different options for parents and educators if they're consider themselves a change maker and they're like, I want to do something differently. I wanted to, like you said, start a podcast, like share share what's going on, and I wanted people to see that there's different options. So. I'm really excited about the option you're sharing. Now, is there a way that people could either in schools like yours or in traditional schools create more? Because I know you also don't you share projects that people could use in general or is it more for Microsoft? My question is going to be, how do we get more student engagement and student agency in schools? Like, Can we do it in the system or does it have to be kind of like change the paradigm and go outside of it?
2: And we can totally do it in the system. It just needs a culture shift of that being our priority. You know, then the priority can't be standardized test scores. The priority needs to be, how are we creating intrinsic motivation, happy students, and student agency? And that's often at odds with teaching to the test and making sure that we have high standardized test scores. Uh, and so, like, absolutely, it can be done within the system. And that was, you know, the the school I ended up sending my daughter to before we launched Up Academy, yeah. you know, was a public school. It was a project-based approach. It was a parent participation school. Um, they had an amazing program that they called Arts Focus that was all mixed age classes once a week. All the students came together and went to different art groups Um, and that's what they would do for three hours that day on their minimum day was to work within this art class that was all volunteer led. It was all run by parents. Like it, it was a different type of school, um, you know, but still a public school. So they're still broken out by grades and ages. Right. And there were still 27 kids in my daughter's kindergarten class with one teacher. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm getting reports home and assessments of things that I just know aren't true. They're telling me she can't do things I know she can do because I've done them with her. And right. like they just don't have the time to get to know everyone that way. Um, but yeah, you can absolutely bring in, pro- you know, project approaches. It's one of the things that we help schools with and shifting that culture and that idea. You know, it can start with a teaching team, it can start with a grade level, it can start with a a mini project like school within a school, one, you know, one classroom from each grade for a three grade band or for a a full, you know, there's so many different ways to start seeing if it's something that you can take on and to start slowly shifting that culture. Um, But you've got to start it with teachers who really want to do it. Because right. if you roll it out school-wide or district-wide and you have a lot of teachers who are trained in a different way have been teaching their own way in a different way for however many years, people are just naturally resistant to change. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And, and you're going to run into a huge culture block of resistors and that's going to create a toxic atmosphere between the people who are wanting to right. adapt and adopt and the people who aren't. And so... Yeah, starting small, starting with a class, starting with a teaching team, starting with a small grade band yep. um, of teachers who really want to do it and really want to try it, um, and then and then others in the building start to say, "Hey, like wait, your your kindergartners ran a restaurant last yeah. week. They like <laughs> our kindergartners works, yeah. did this. They ran a restaurant. Like they built the menus. They were the chefs. Yep. They welcomed people as the hosts. They brought them to their tables. They took their orders." They brought, you know, they cooked their food. They brought their food out to them. Like, it's a really cool thing to be able to see. And then suddenly other teachers are like, wait, why am I sitting on the carpet fighting with kids about learning the letter B? And you guys are out running a restaurant like that exactly. looks like a lot more fun. Yes. Uh, and, and that's how you start to shift that culture. So, yeah, I absolutely believe that it can happen in, in larger schools and bigger districts and,
0: yeah.
2: and, and those things. Um, but it, it takes work. And it desire. takes work. And
1: I, I really do agree. Like what I have seen really work well is that you start with like, you know, I started my teaching career in Oakland public schools and there was a group of ninth grade teachers. I actually taught 10th grade, but there were a group of ninth grade teachers that were all teacher America. And they'd been there for like four years. Like they stayed past the two and they were like this little powerhouse. They were doing all this really cool stuff. And principal was like, Oh, I should put you on the ninth grade. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> but <laughs> basically, you know, they were able to create all this change. And like you said, is momentum. And it's the same thing in our summit schools when we would do change. It's like we'd start with one grade level, one classroom. And then people start asking questions like, wait, all the kids are talking about that. And this is going well. And how come, like you said, you know, how come they're they're doing that in kindergarten? And so I think that's a great way to kind of just start the change. I wanted to wrap up by asking you and kind of just like finish the conversation by asking you about parents because I get a lot of calls from parents, right? My friends, colleagues, I was in a parenting course for a year with my wife and I couldn't even go on the Facebook group without getting like 400 questions about what are we going to do about our kids in schools? And so, what advice do you have for parents? Because you're a parent and a school founder that are just frustrated. I do life coaching. A lot of times I'll end up doing life coaching and then I'll be talking with a parent, you know, what parent has an autistic kid. And it's like, okay, now I need, um, I don't know what to do. Right. And then I'll end up doing like all these separate, conversations with them like outside of our life coaching to help them kind of think through how they're going to navigate their their life with the school system. So what advice would you have for those parents?
2: Um, you know, one of the things that I love to say about parenting for, for better or worse is that we all get to screw up our children in our own special way. Um, like as adults, we all look back and we see like the things that we wish our parents would have done differently or yeah. that I have this trait because you did that. And so as a parent, like we all get to screw up our kids in our own special way. So there's, there's no right or wrong way to go about a lot of the challenges and the issues. Um, But I think as long as you're approaching things from an aspect of love and care, having good intentions, listening to the advice of the experts around you and really seeking out the best people that You know, are not only what, you know, the internet or Joe next door says are the best people, but finding the best people that are going to align with your family values, the way you want to raise children, um, so that students and our children have that consistency in their life, and they're hearing a similar message from school and their teachers and their therapists or specialists that they're working with and their parents, so that those expectations are consistent across all of the places that we're going. Um, I think those are the really important pieces. And then we all do the best that we can and, some days the best that we can is doing everything. Like we, we had taken my daughter at one point to an organization out in Philadelphia and they gave us this full home system that we were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a home program. And so I built a full checklist of it because there were certain things that we were supposed to do 20 times a day and things we were supposed to do five times a day and things we were supposed to do 10 times a day. Um, and this was before she was in school. So we and I wasn't working. I was like fortunate to stay home with my kids when they were young. yeah, um, and so I was working through this whole program and I built this whole checklist. and some days we'd get through the whole checklist and we did everything that we can, and it was great. And some days we make it through a third of the checklist, and I'm like, well, you know, we didn't fail today. We did the best that we could, but yeah. our best is different every day. Yes. Um, and so understanding that and giving ourselves as parents and as educators that grace, Um, also allows our children and our students to see that, that, you know, we, we don't have to be uber productive. We don't have to be the best. We don't have to like a hundred percent isn't a hundred percent every day. Some days, 30% is a hundred percent for that day. And that's okay. Um, But yeah, so finding, finding the right people who, you know, their personality, their culture, their values align and are consistent and they can be supportive. And then yeah. You know, once you've found those experts that are in your corner, do your best to follow their advice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you were, when you first said fo- follow the experts, I was thinking, wait, but didn't you say that the experts are giving you bad advice, but you were saying that, but now you're not, then you said the right experts, because some of the educational experts were giving you bad, advice, right. Or they were just saying things that you were like, no, that's not true about my daughter. Cause I feel like as parents, we're the ones who know our kids best, right? It's like, no one knows our kid better than we do. So I like the advice of like, find the experts that you, that are values aligned, that you trust, and you believe that they're, you know, have, have the right kind of philosophy, a similar philosophy. And, and it's, it's it takes a village, right? And that's that, that good old saying, and get the team together and, and, and then trust yourself as a parent, right? Like at the end yeah. of the day, you know, you know your child. And so if it feels off in the certain school system you're in, or the setting you're in, like, I always tell people, don't Pursue. be afraid
2: to change. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Pursue whatever you think is right and don't stay in it just cuz you know you're worried that other people are going to judge you or because you think that's what you're supposed to do or because that's what you've always done, you know, just really be open to what's best for your child, which is why it's really cool that there's schools like yours and that there are the five kids in the living room and all these different options we have now so that kids can families can really choose what they think is best for their child and not just say, "Okay, I have to go to that school down the street and it's not good for my child, but I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep pushing. Maybe I'll get on the PTA and maybe things will change. And then seven years later, they're still frustrated. So thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you?
2: Uh, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. If you want to reach out to me directly, Um, Tanya Sheckley on LinkedIn, our school website is upacademysf.com. You had mentioned the projects that we have available out to families and things. Our project library is available on rebeleducator.com. Um, you can look up my podcast, as you mentioned, rebel educator yeah. podcast and our, our curriculum and our affiliate network is on ProjectUp.us.
1: Okay. Yeah. I love all the things you have going on. You're like me, you have a lot of things going on and you're trying to solve different problems in different ways. And you're like a true entrepreneur. When I was looking up your stuff, I'm like, Oh, she's cool. She's doing all these different things and trying to solve problems and give people different opportunities to, to, you know, to, to have access to whatever they need. So I love that. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen, and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement. And without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you.
0: Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards?